Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, holiday cooking and safety tips from the state fire marshal's office, help for those in need struggling with addiction, and gopher hoops guard Peyton Willis. But first... As many of us enjoy this Thanksgiving weekend with family and friends, let's take a few minutes to remember those who are not as fortunate. The Salvation Army has been on the front lines of that work for a long time, and MNN's Bill Werner talked with three soldiers, Dan Furry with the Salvation Army's Northern Division Headquarters, Trish Thacker with the Harbor Light Center in downtown Minneapolis, and Rebecca Snap with the Salvation Army in Rochester. First, Dan Furry. The need continues to be great uh, as a result of the pandemic. Last year, we had a huge uh, demand for food. Uh, this year, that continues. But on top of that, as uh, eviction moratoriums are coming to an end and people are on the verge of, of uh, perhaps losing their homes, we are seeing a, a pretty significant spike in requests for assistance uh, for rent, assistance for utilities, Um and, and that is also combated by, or uh, compounded, I should say, by the fact that we're seeing higher prices, we're seeing food shortages. Mm. Um, uh, so there, there are a lot of things that come into play. And, and so the demand is, is as strong as it was last year. And, and we see it continuing for a while. Uh, you had mentioned the, the red kettles. And of course, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a, a sure big sign. deal for folks. Yeah, right. Yep, it's a sure sign of Christmas, and they they started. They were out on the street uh, about. Uh, we started about ten days ago, and uh, so all of the kettles. Uh, there there are fewer than than in years past, but they're more than there were last year, and we're grateful for that. But I think what's important to mention is that you don't need cash. It's it can be completely contactless uh, because all of the kettles are outfitted with. Google Pay, with Apple Pay, with Venmo, with PayPal, and a QR code scan. So you don't need cash. It's quick. It's easy, painless, contactless, and you're going to help uh, change people's lives. Very good. Okay, let, let's move on to uh, Trish Thacker, who is with the Harbor Light Center in downtown Minneapolis. And Trish, uh, the Harbor Light um, is the center that that handles more people than any, right, in the upper Midwest, uh, as far as the Salvation Army is concerned? Yes, it is. What kind of programs do you have there? And I know they're extensive. Have there been changes as a result of the pandemic? Some of the things that are a little different this year with the pandemic, which is, you know, we still experience as ongoing, is that we're not allowed to have volunteers come in and help us serve dinner. So we're trying to figure out other ways to make this really welcoming and community-oriented. Um, and, you know, we are always in need of blankets in particular at wintertime, gloves, uh, you know, gloves, hats, scarves, those kinds of things. But um, our goal really is to continue to create an environment where people feel welcome and can get their needs met and they can um, to get restabilized so that they can move into their next level of housing. You have some new facilities there in the emergency shelter. Is that right? Can you tell us about those? Yes, I would be happy to. We, we underwent a significant renovation last year, um, over a million dollars for our safe bay area, which is our largest congregate prison space. 
So we were able to bring in, we literally brought it down to the cement and rebuilt it. So there's, we brought in brand new HVAC, so it's healthier. We've got uh, brand new bathrooms with touchless appliances. We brought in um, washer dryer. We were able to create alcoves so that it's private and quiet. We reduced the census from 135 to 80. Um, each bunk, each bed, I should say, has its very own outlet, USB, all that kind of thing, so people can stay either their appliances can stay charged and they can stay connected. It really is a lifeline. Um, and it's just such a pleasure to be in that space. Sounds like not only are you safer, but also it's a more dignified environment as well. And for, for folks who are in tough circumstances. Absolutely. That is our goal is that we are able to con- um, to convey to people that we value them, that they're safe and that we're going to help connect them with what they need to move into their, their next level of success in life. Let's move to Rebecca Snap, who's the uh, Director of Community Engagement for the Salvation Army in Rochester. Rebecca, um, Rochester, third largest city in Minnesota, um, certainly, I assume, has, has people who are having tough times as well. Tell us a little bit about what is the need in Rochester and what kinds of things are you doing? You know, it's so interesting because Rochester has this reputation of being such an affluent community, but really... That we've had a trend of maybe about one new homeless family that had been previously unidentified giving us a call every week since the start of the pandemic. Mm. And we certainly have our population of anywhere between 50 and, and 250 homeless individuals, unsheltered homeless people at any given time. And that's in addition to the people that come to us, again, like Dan said, for rent and utility assistance. We have a health clinic here in Rochester for people who are uninsured and who, who don't have enough health insurance for their care, and people who are not eligible for insurance. We house people. We, we have youth programs. There's, there's a lot going on in the outlying communities outside of the Twin Cities and, and Rochester. We're just lucky to be a, a hub of, of a place where people can come to get the things that they need. How has the need been there? I mean, as you say, a lot of people think of Rochester, Mayo Clinic, doctors, right, and yep. prosperous yep. community. But uh, how has the need been uh, in Rochester and, and surrounding area? And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, yes, there, there are doctors and surgeons and people who do very well here in Rochester, but there are also the people that work, you know, everyday blue-collar jobs in this community. There are people who work in the service industry. There are people who work in, in construction, people who are all the nurses and assistants and administration, people over at, at, at places like Mayo Clinic and Olmstead Medical Center. So there's definitely a need because those are the people who have been hit hardest by the pandemic. Let's close, and I want to go back to you, Dan, and ask about folks who want to help, either through donation of time or of money. How do they do that? The best and easiest way is to go to the division website. It's SalvationArmyNorth.org, and they can sign up to, uh, to volunteer, whether that's ringing a bell, whether that's wrapping gifts for our toy giveaway, whether it's serving meals at some of our service centers uh, or, or actually uh, not serving meals so much as preparing uh, food boxes for families that are in need of food assistance. So there's a lot of things that they can do in terms of volunteering. Um, we also uh, are in, in great need for financial support. So they can make a donation there as well. And what's great about donations is that uh, depending on uh, where the donor's zip code is, uh, that donation stays in that community. So whether whether you're in Minneapolis, St. Paul, whether you're in Rochester, whether you're in Fergus Falls or Duluth, um, whatever your your zip code is, 
that's the the area that your donation will go to help. Excellent. Dan Furry with the Salvation Army's Northern Division, thank you. And thank you, Rebecca Snap with the Rochester Salvation Army. And thank you, Trish Thacker with the Harbor Light Center. You folks are all doing good work, and please keep it up. It's very important work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that report, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second, I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. As we head into Thanksgiving and the holiday season, COVID-19 is a huge concern, but so is fire safety. Here's my conversation with Deputy Chief Fire Marshal Amanda Swenson, detailing the ways Minnesotans can be prepared for what is usually the most wonderful time of the year. You know, we everyone wants to celebrate the holiday season and gather with family, have meals together, uh, holiday decorations, um, but some of these things that we consider holiday staples um, can also lead to um, deadly fires and, you know, from cooking, heating, open flames, all of these can pose additional dangers in the home. I know each year we talk roughly at this time of year about uh, staying focused in the kitchen so that uh, we can prevent some of these preventable fires. Uh, what does staying focused mean, and, and, and how do folks do that? Absolutely. We continue to see cooking fires as our number one cause of fires year after year here in Minnesota and nationally. And so pretty simple of never leave food cooking on the stove unattended, um, if you're baking, make sure to have a timer. I mean, every most people, I should say, have you know a smartphone that has a timer. Put it on the smartphone because you're going to carry that around with you, and so you have that timer. Um, and be sure to check back on the oven frequently and make sure everything's going well. And keep things away from the stovetop, so three feet um, away with anything that could catch on fire. And that's true with anything that heat. So the stovetop, um, if you're using crock pots, all those other things that we pull out for the holidays, get things that can catch fire away. You know, in addition to cooking, uh, we've got people uh, decorating this time of year. I know for us, we bring the candles out this time of year. What do you want folks to know about having candles and potentially uh, flammable decorations side by side? 
Right. Um, and we certainly see a number of fires every year um, from those decorations, and uh, especially when you combine in candles. Again, keep anything that can catch fire away from the candles. If you're leaving the room, snuff the candle, put it out. Um, definitely, before you go to bed, put out the candles. Make a double check around the home um, in case they're you know, lit and you're not used to having them lit. You have family and company, and you might forget that you had previously you know, lit that candle. So make that double check through the house that everything is extinguished um, anytime you leave the room or go to sleep. You know, just uh, going backwards a little bit, talking back uh, again about uh, cooking safety, if we do happen to get a fire going in the kitchen, what's the best way to put that out, and how should we be prepared if something like that should happen? That's a great question, um, because certainly if you experience a fire in your kitchen, it's going to be um, a scary experience, cause that stress, and sometimes um, we're not sure what to do. So plan ahead of having a lid close by to the stovetop because um, the easiest thing to do is if there is a fire on the stovetop, just slide a lid on, turn off the burner, and let it sit. Sit there till the next day so it's fully cold, not to worry about um, as long as that lid is sealing that it will extinguish, um, cut off that oxygen and extinguish the fire and so just let it sit. If it happens to be in the oven, Keep that oven door closed, uh, and that should, for the most part, snuff out the fire. But do also call um, 911 in that case and make sure that they can double-check the stove and, you know, any venting um, so that there's no extension into a wall or anywhere else into the home. And what about having fire extinguishers in our kitchens? Is, uh, is that a requirement? It's not a requirement. It is a good idea, Um but if, you're, if you've never used a fire extinguisher, uh, we do see people, um, you know, making mistakes. Because, again, you're under stress. If there's a fire in your home, that's a scary situation. It's not the time to learn how to use an extinguisher. So be familiar with how to pull out the pin, how to unhook a nozzle if there is a, you know, hose with the nozzle attached so that you have all the conveniences and don't put it under the sink, way buried behind all the cleaner and trash can or whatever we store under the sink. Um, I often see people kind of hide it away. You know, it might not be the most beautiful decorating tool in the kitchen to have an extinguisher out, but mine is certainly out and ready to be used. Uh, But also know if it's a grease fire on the stovetop, spraying it with the chemical might actually Spread and spray those greases around um, and cause bigger problems. So the, that lid is that best tool to use for that stovetop fire. Great. Good reminders, good information. I really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. Thank you. That's Deputy Chief Fire Marshal Amanda Swenson. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The holidays, as you know, can be a stressful time, especially as concerns about COVID continue. It can be even more stressful for people in recovery from addiction and for their families. Tasha Radel has more. 
That's right, Scott. Navigating through the holidays while in recovery can be very difficult, but there are things we can do to support our loved ones fighting addiction. Joining me today is Melissa Fors, Vice President at Hazleton Betty Ford. First of all, I think it's important to know that a lot of families struggle at this time of year, but those families that are struggling with addiction, whether having family members that are new in recovery or family members that are struggling with addiction, it really exacerbates this time of year. There's this expectation to have these picture-perfect, shiny, happy holidays, and that's just not the case for these families. And so what we're trying to make sure everyone understands is that there are ways to prepare ahead of time and really make the holidays still just as special and wonderful as, as they've been in the past. Melissa, what types of things can we be doing to support our loved ones? So if you have a family member that is trying not to use drugs or alcohol at this time of year, there's a lot of things that a family can do to help prepare. So one of the things is to have a conversation with that person ahead of time. Are they comfortable having alcohol at the event? And maybe if they're not, maybe you try an alcohol-free holiday. Otherwise, Try to see what non-alcoholic drinks that that person would like and make sure you have plenty stocked on hand. It's just very respectful to that person who's trying not to drink to make sure that you can offer them the Diet Coke or the Sprite or the special drink that they would like so they can still have, you know, a fun day and not feel stigmatized because they're the only one not drinking. There are other things that the person in recovery themselves can do. They can have a plan ahead of time. They can bring a a sober or healthy friend if it's appropriate. They can drive themselves to the event, and if they don't feel comfortable, they can then leave if they choose to. They can step up their self-care during this time of year. And and for some people in recovery, that means support meetings or 12-step meetings or just uh, spending time with those in their life that are supportive of their recovery. Um, So lots of different things that people can do to really take care of themselves this time of year. Melissa, I know addiction is a disease, and I think sometimes we forget it's not easy for our loved one to just stop cold turkey. It's just not that simple. So just because somebody is struggling with their addiction doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean um, that they have some moral failing, that they do have a disease, and they just, they're sick and they need help, and help is available. And that's one thing to, to emphasize to everyone, that help is available. It's not an easy journey but there are professionals out there to help you. And I think for, for families that are struggling with this, it's, it's hard to do on their own. So I usually recommend that they reach out to a professional. They can certainly call us at Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, or they can call another professional, but to get someone else to help them along this journey, these are not easy conversations to have. Um, but there is help available to help these uh, their, their family members that are struggling. We talked earlier a little about relapsing. I think sometimes families get frustrated or disappointed, but in all reality, is relapsing pretty common? Well, addiction is a chronic disease, much like you see with uh, high blood pressure or, or diabetes. And so when you see setbacks in, in those chronic diseases, I think it's it should be looked at very similarly to the journey of recovery with uh, from addiction. So that's very common, but it's also very scary for families. Um, and that's where talking to your loved ones, trying to talk to them about your concerns and getting them the professional help they need to help recover from this definitely long-term chronic disease is, is the best thing to do. 
We're about out of time today. Any final thoughts? Um, the only thing that I'd add is that this year, more than any year, everything is exacerbated because of the pandemic. A lot of these families didn't get together last year. So they didn't have an opportunity to see their loved ones that they may be concerned about. This year, we're seeing more families getting together in person. And we do know from all the recent research that uh, that anxiety, depression, and alcohol use are all at record highs. Uh, just last month, the, the CDC reported that opioid overdose are at, also at record highs. So there's so much more that's being added on top of the pandemic and the level of stress. So this year, more than any year, I think families are dealing with that high level of stress, but also they need to take a look at their family members that they may be concerned about and, and see how those family members are doing. Reach out to them. They may be isolating. They may be using drugs or alcohol more than ever before, and they just might not have been, uh, been seeing those family members for quite some time now. Thanks again to my guest, Melissa Fors, Vice President at Hazelton Betty Ford. For more information on addiction and recovery services, head online to hazeltonbettyford.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with a mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What tape? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher men's basketball team is off to a nice start, having won the Asheville tournament earlier this month. New head coach Ben Johnson has an almost entirely new roster from last year, and the team has come together to play winning basketball early this season. One of the key components is guard Peyton Willis. Willis started his career at Vanderbilt, then transferred to Minnesota and played for the Gophers in 2019 and 2020, then transferred to the College of Charleston for last season. He returned to finish his career with Johnson and the Gophers this season and is averaging more than 16 points per game. He joins MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm to tell his unique story. Oh yeah, it's been a great start. Um, great team as far as chemistry goes on and off the court. And um, playing for Ben Johnson has been special, so it's been everything I expected. Yeah, how did this all come about? I think Gopher fans were excited when they uh, saw the news that you'd be back in maroon and gold uh, after leaving playing a season at College of Charleston. Um, I was looking towards playing professionally at the end of last year once the season ended, and I uh, threw my name in the transfer portal just to see what I got, but I was still thinking I'd most likely go play professionally, and then I got the call from Ben Johnson, who I had a relationship with for since high school, so in the opportunity, I just could, I had to jump on it, so it looked, um, it was great, and I loved it here the first time, so um, what a better way to end it than here. 
And obviously, as we mentioned, you're off to a nice start, both as a team and then you personally averaging more than 20 points a game. You were the uh, tournament most outstanding player in Asheville. Um, what has been uh, the, the the key to this? I mean, these guys, this 10 new players, and all the, it looks like you guys have been playing together for a number of years. You're in the right spots. You're playing together. Uh, what do you think's been the key to to this quick come together, so to speak? Um, Coach Johnson and his staff just did a great job. Uh, recruiting the right guys on transfer portal. We don't have any egos. We're all playing together to win. Um, we don't really care who scores the most points in one game. We know we have a lot of guys who can score the ball. Um, we just have chips on our shoulders, and we want to win at the end of the day. And uh, there were some times where uh, other teams here in this first uh, stretch of games made a run. Uh, I think back to the Princeton game, it looked like you guys maybe were about to put the game away. Uh, they sent it to overtime. They sent it to a second overtime. But you guys handled the situation. How much early uh, success uh, can be a key now to future success? Oh, yeah, that was a big problem with um, my team here a couple years ago. We couldn't handle those runs the teams were going on and they ended up backfiring us at the end of the season for us having a chance to be in the NCAA tournament. Every game, every win is crucial. So um, us responding to those runs, the teams go on early in the season, um, can help us in the future. What I ask you this uh, in the media day as well, back before the season started, what has changed most about your game since the last time, uh, personally now I'm talking, your your, your personal game uh, from the last time you were here in Maroon and Gold? I know one thing is you're healthy, right? You, you kind of battled injuries uh, your, your season here. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for sure. Um, I was out down a limp ankle last time I was here. I've focused more on my ball handling skills and um, my defensive, one-on-one defense. I think those are two things I've definitely improved on. And you're playing a lot of point guard now, which you weren't playing, of course, the last time here either. And you mentioned the ball handling skills. How much do you like being kind of that floor general and as a veteran, uh, you know, having a, a presence and a command of what's going on? Um, yeah, I like that role. That was a big reason why I came back and took the opportunity to come back and play this final year. Um, it's just great being a floor leader, an extension of Coach Johnson on the court, and I feel like um, my experience this past five years just uh, prepares me for that. You mentioned your buddy Eric Curry, who's been here the whole time, and obviously he's been through some struggles injury-wise, and when he's played, he's been definitely impactful. We thought that maybe he'd be a coach, you know, kind of a, a student coach this year, not playing, and he all of a sudden started to feel better. Uh, how much of a role did that play in you deciding also to come here, and two, how much fun are you two guys having? I know you guys go all the way back to uh, to, to your uh, you know youth and, and AAU days. Yeah, uh, we're having a lot of fun. Um, uh, the first game, first UMKC, I just looked up and he was tipping the ball. I was like, this is insane. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe I'm really out here with him. Um, yeah, I appreciate him for taking that chance and um, joining the team and playing one last year. Um, yeah, we're having a lot of fun. You now are experienced. I mean, you started at Vanderbilt, Minnesota, uh, a year, as you mentioned, your city year. You learned some stuff during that year as well. Then you have a year at College of Charleston. Now you're back here. How much can you use that experience? Because just me as an observer, I mean, I have no, you know, I, I'm not sure. That's why I'm asking. But my observation is that you really now with the experience have a command of everything. Like you haven't been rattled. You have, uh, you know, you're just in control. How much does all of the experience you've had now help you as a college player here? Yeah, I take bits and pieces from every single one of those seasons. I think Dupree McBrayer, Amir uh, Coffey, Jordan Murphy, guys like that are guys that I um, want to embody their leadership. Um, obviously, they were great players, and they um, led their teams to big wins and NCAA tournament wins as well. Just uh, keep them staying poised um, in moments of pressure. 
I know I'm somebody the team looks to during those times and just making sure that um, I'm ready for anything during those times. That's Gopher guard Peyton Willis and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please have a safe and happy Thanksgiving and tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Music.